0: When we talked to staff, the sorts of things that supported their well-being was music and dancing, animals and those sorts of things. And then we turned around and said, well, those are the same sorts of things that other people want in their life, including the people that we care for. And the only difference perhaps is that People that are in a residential facility don't always have the means to determine what it is that they want to choose. So it's up to us to actually bring that to them, to support them to um, access and enable them to be able to access those sorts of things. So it's my responsibility to make sure that the people that I care for are safe, that they feel comfortable, and that I know what their preferences are, what their cultural preferences are. their responsibility to tell me or to show me.
1: Are you becoming increasingly aware of your advancing age? Do you wonder if you're making the most of your life or fear that the best years may be behind you? Welcome to Ageing with Purpose, a podcast developed by Lydia Comsey from Avanti Care to help create a movement for purposeful ageing because every person and their needs matter. The Ageing with Purpose podcast is a Narrative Network production.
2: Thank you you for joining us for the next episode of Ageing with Purpose. Pleasure. Just to set a little bit of context, can you tell us about your current role and just a
0: brief overview of your history working in the aged care space? Sure. So currently I'm CEO of Santillarian Aged Care Service. They have two residential services and some home care services. Um, I'm week 12 into this new role, but I do come with an extensive background in aged care. I have spent approximately 20 years in research and part of that time was looking at the well-being of older people in an aged care service. In particular, I did some work around Aboriginal uh, communities in terms of their aged care services um, and also helped out mainstream services such as Helping Hand and Rest Haven and some of the larger ones in looking at models of care that support well-being. uh, So I assume over 20 years of research and some of that
2: hands-on practical experience you've seen a lot of the good and the bad. Yes. What are some of the things that really stood out for you, you know, across these experiences and through your research? Where are some of the areas where this is really working well and some not so much so?
0: I think where it's really working well is where the service actually focuses on the well-being and lifestyle and even things like lifelong learning where people can actually really have an idea of continuing to progress and continuing to be challenged in their life, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically as well. Those sorts of areas work really well. So it's really important from my perspective to actually look at how do we support people to continue to live the life that they want to. So some of the things I've done in the 12 weeks that I've been at St. Hilarion is to actually meet with all of the 300 staff in small group sessions. And the first thing I talk to them about about was what does well-being mean for you? What supports your well-being? And we had a variety of answers. For me, I have a really good family connection. I have a little dog at home who greets me every evening when I walk in the door exhausted and tired. And that really supports my well-being. I have some fantastic friends. I do go to the gym. So those sorts of things support my well-being. When we talk to staff, the sorts of things that supported their well-being was music and dancing, animals and those sorts of things. And then we turn around and said, well, those are the same sorts of things that other people want in their life, including the people that we care for. And the only difference perhaps is that People that are in a residential facility don't always have the means to determine what it is that they want to choose. So it's up to us to actually bring that to them, to support them to um, access and enable them to be able to access those sorts of things. You know, at St. Hilarion, what we've done is that um, in 12 weeks we have six new residents and they're chickens. Three of them are silkies (laughs) and three of them are bantams. Um, And during the daytime, they roam around the yard and people can walk amongst them. And those that can't get out into the yard, we bring the chickens into them and they'll sit comfortably on the laps of people. We also have an animal farm that comes in once a month where there are goats and chickens and baby lambs and ducks and all sorts of things. And we're looking at actually bringing um, fish and guinea pigs and all sorts of things into the facility. We have the normal dogs that come in and actually um, visit people as well. But it's about bringing an opportunity for animals which really I think for a lot of people is something that they enjoy and makes them feel very comfortable and they get a lot of interest out of it and a lot of ownership because they can look after those animals to some extent themselves and they're used to doing that. The other things that we've started to look at is interest in people's families, looking at what it is that we can help them with connecting to their family. So making the family feel really welcome. And when the family's not there, is it photo? toes. Is it pictures? Is it familiar objects from the family that is really going to make them feel a lot more comfortable and to help them to maintain their memory and connection with people? One of the other things that we identified was having a sense of worth and a role in life. When you go into a residential facility, I guess it tends to be that people do things for you. So one of our people that we care for, who's absolutely fantastic and has had a very significant management background actually uh, sits on our recruitment panel. And in fact, uh, she's allowed us to reassess the way in which we recruit staff. She's quite amazing. Another lady has been a bit of an administrator as well, and she does some of our postal rounds with some of our staff. It's not replacing the staff. It's about allowing people to continue with the normal role that they have in life and they get a lot of worth from it. So we don't force people into it, but we allow people to to continue to have the role that they would like in life it sort of changes the whole culture of our organization our staff learn a lot from people and I guess sometimes even changes the way in which we do things Mm, yes as you were talking I was definitely thinking it seems like a cultural shift because it's about
2: giving them that permission giving them that confidence and opportunity so what you're talking about as well is really a psychological shift too because those patients or the people that are living in the care facilities need to
0: understand that they can still do things That's right and they often need to be invited to do it more than once so we had an experience of one lady who was walking around the facility so this is week one I noticed that this lady was continually walking around every time I walked past her she'd have a bit of a chat um, and I'd sort of ask her where she was going and she says I'm just walking Um, and this was the lady that we ended up inviting to be part of our postal service. So the administration staff member who normally goes around and, and provides all of the letters and the pamphlets and the newsletters to people, she was doing that by herself. And, in fact, it was really helpful for her to have somebody with her and they chatted along the way. And so you often see them now together walking around. But it did take more than one invitation. The lady in particular was worried that she was going to do something wrong. So, you know, we assured her that she could walk away from this at any time. And so she tried it out once and she actually found she really enjoyed it. And so there are plenty of people like that. Another lady um, helps us with putting together newsletters, reading them through to make sure that they make sense. And she's made some suggestions about other photos. Did you see the photo we took of Mrs. So-and-so? And she was doing such and such. Wouldn't it be nice to put that in the newsletter? Because I know she was really proud of it, etc. So those are the sorts of things that she's taking a part in we haven't yet got to have a a role for everybody but one of the things that we do at our executive committee meeting is to remind everybody that actually let's look for roles that people could assist with support give us guidance on and really be involved in yeah. And
2: because you're really talking about, you know, there's a huge pool of knowledge and experience Absolutely. in those elderly people within yeah. your facility. So yes. it's about the, the value for everyone, really. It makes yes. it better. It's a win-win scenario if you yeah. can make improvements and give them a sense of worth, as you said, and, and purpose, which is really what Lydia is
0: very passionate about talking yes. about. So it's just a matter of time of introducing things slowly um, and making sure that people that are involved are well supported in doing that and that they feel very comfortable in doing it. And sometimes, you know, we think that we come from a cultural sort of neutral setting, but in fact, everything we have um, within our residential care facilities is embedded within a particular culture. And so we need to make sure that whatever that is, is adjusted to suit the people we care for, whether it be Greek or Italian or any other culture.
2: And you mentioned in your research, actually talking about culture, that you studied other cultures and, you know, aged care in in these cultures. Is there any sort of really big differences and anything that you've taken from other cultures and and how they deal with
0: aged care? So I spent a few years ago now, five years in Papua New Guinea. The one thing I learnt there was never tell them that your parents are in an aged care facility all of their fathers and mothers continue to live in the village because a lot of people in Papua New Guinea are still in a village environment still continue to live with them in their homes in the village and they sort of partly looked after children and they you know gave instructions and they passed on their knowledge to the younger generation so I guess from that experience it's about really ensuring that people are valued all the way through their life and that we don't just stick people away which is a horrible expression um in somewhere where you know you can't actually really appreciate what they do know and what they can contribute all the way through to the end of their life I think that's important. I worked also with a lot of Aboriginal cultures around Australia. And I guess the sense of community and the sense of family was something that I guess I've picked up and run with. And for me, though, there is a concept of cultural safety that needs to come into whatever culture you're dealing with. So it's my responsibility to make sure that the people that I care for are safe, that they feel comfortable. And that I know what their preferences are, what their cultural preferences are. It's not their responsibility to tell me or to show me. Yeah, mm.
2: And, you know, the, the type of aged care facility that you describe sounds wonderful. You know, that's the sort of facility that I would, you know, would wish for myself or my parents, et cetera. But there's obviously been some issues in the aged care model. And with the Royal Commission happening at the moment, where did we get to a point where the Royal
0: Commission was required? Well, first of all, I think there are a lot of good facilities out there. We shouldn't tarnish everybody with the same brush, but there are facilities out there that don't operate as well as what they should. And so, you know, shortcuts are taken. Um, The lack of staff means that people are, hurried along a lot. They don't have time to spend and build relationships with the people that they care for. They're there to do the very mundane work. You know, we've all, I expect, heard about Oakton where the lack of staff, the lack of systems, the lack of resources, the poor facilities meant that the staff there were just left to actually do whatever they could do, which sometimes meant that people were restrained either physically or chemically. Inappropriate, completely inappropriately, um, and that possibly does happen in other facilities as well. So the Royal Commission gives us an opportunity to reflect on our own practices, to learn from the mistakes that's happened, and I think also for the funding bodies, including the governments, too, to really understand what is absolutely needed to run a service appropriately so that we do have the ability to have the right resources and staffing levels on board and we have an opportunity to be innovative. For our organisation, I guess innovation is really the key. One of the things that we're doing at the moment is we're implementing a community service. You don't need to have an ACAT assessment. You don't need to be labelled as needing aged care services. This is just about inviting members of the community in to have an enjoyable time with uh, and socialise with people that are their same age, have similar interests, to, you know, experience experience different things to learn about what skyping could do how do we use it to learn about different countries would you want to go to tahiti for example you know pop-up kitchens how do we cook pasta should we actually have a vietnamese cooking session so you know people get to from 10 until 3 to enjoy a lovely lunch to experience some social interaction to perhaps do some walking and some exercise play bocce and then go home again and it's interesting because what you're talking about you know that's really
2: around breaking down isolation and absolutely. giving people stuff to keep their mind active which i think aged care traditionally has been a bit more about on the care of the body of yes. the person that's aging so i think yeah what a fantastic notion to bring that in and obviously that cycles
0: back around to your focus on wellbeing absolutely yeah and it's not to say that healthcare isn't important to the people we care for but we really need to also focus on people the holistic sense of people um, and that is the well-being and the lifestyle some of the work that i did in the past was on uh, something called allostatic load and that is where um, i guess you know stresses in your life and contribute to um, future morbidity and mortality so, you know, the, the illnesses we actually end up with um, and even, you know, a shortening of our life. So, you know, if we can actually decrease the amount of stress in anybody's life, promote well-being, promote a healthy lifestyle, we're actually going to help people live longer. And so, therefore, your focus is making sure you're providing around the spectrum? Yes, that is the way in which we're moving at the moment. It is absolutely life- Lifestyle, um, along with clinical care together is the focus of our service.
2: From the Royal Commission, is there anything you would particularly really like to see change? You know, is it at that government level? Is it at a community awareness level? Or is it in the facilities themselves? Where do you think those key changes need to come from? Or is it a combination?
0: I think it's definitely a combination. So I think at the government level, um, I think we need to realise that providing appropriate funding is important. So I guess from a a government perspective, if I could wave my magic wand, I would say let's slow down the changes and get it absolutely right one step at a time. From a community perspective, I guess a change in the way in which we think about people over the age of, dare I say, even late 50s. But I suspect there's lots of people in their 70s and 80s that would prefer not to be put in a box around you're an older member of the society you've done your bit you know now you need to be cared for I would love to see that change in terms of I guess people in the sector in the aged care sector I guess if there was one thing that I would like to say and a lot of them do it already but there are some that perhaps don't is don't be scared of the innovation Don't be scared of trying something different. As long as you do it gently and safely with, you know, some idea of, you know, a risk management framework around it, you can't go wrong. And innovation is what we need at the moment. Mm. Thank you so much. I I think
2: obviously, you know, the residents in your facilities have got a real treasure in you. So good luck
0: with the rest of your journey. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for listening to Ageing With Purpose. Links to references mentioned in today's episode are included in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and our AvantiCare newsletter to keep informed and ensure you never miss an episode. To subscribe and to access a wide range of useful resources, head to our website www.avanticare.com.au. The Ageing With Purpose podcast is produced by Narrative Marketing, who believe that storytelling can positively impact the world. Interview questions in this episode were asked by Amelia Veal.